started, uh, and we've been, you know, seeing some of the challenges that they face that are similar to some of the challenges that we face uh, today as a part of the movement and a part of the church. And this movement began about two weeks after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was a handful of people, these eyewitnesses that had been around Jesus uh, during his ministry here, you know, while he was alive. They saw him crucified. Uh, they saw him, you know, buried, and then they saw him alive again after he was resurrected. And so this group of eyewitnesses, they began to just hit the streets of Jerusalem telling the story of Jesus and what Jesus had taught and what they knew and what Jesus had told them to go and tell. And so we see these people, you know, hitting the streets doing that, being his witnesses. And within just a few days, there were like 5,000 people that had already become a, a part of the movement, uh, joined the church proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah of the world and he was who he said he was. And it was just tremendous what God was doing it through those people. And, and that's what the church is okay it's a movement it began as a movement and that's what it has to continue to be and it will with or without me and you the movement will continue until he comes to take the church home his bride home and, and so we we've seen in the past few weeks this miraculous conversion of a man named saul Right? He was persecuting the Christians. He was having them killed and, you know, putting them on trial and locking them up and all that. We see him converted and come to, uh, to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior, becomes the greatest evangelist to ever walk on the face of the earth. He's now, he's traveling all over the region, leading people to Jesus, and he's planting new churches everywhere he goes. A new church is popping up here, a new church popping up there. He's just starting them all over the, the, the place. And as this movement continues and it continues to grow and churches begin to be built, guess what happens? Controversy, <laughs> right? Some controversy pops up. You know, should we, have, should we have red carpet or green carpet? You know, because this was 2,000 years ago, and they, don't, they didn't use neutral colors like we do now. And so, you know, they had this great controversy, but it absolutely had nothing to do with carpet. But we're going we're gonna to look at it this morning. Some of you have experienced controversy in the church. I'm sure uh, if you've been around the church very much, at some point in time, you've been disappointed by how people in the church acted or some things that, that took place there, and that's disheartening to see, and it's unfortunate because it hinders the message that we have of love and grace and forgiveness. And, and some of you uh, uh, probably know people that will not go to church today because of something that may have happened to them in the past at church, or maybe there's somebody in this church that they've got a conflict with, or whatever it may be. People will use that as an excuse not to be a part of the church uh, because of something that happened in the past, and this is nothing new. We're going to see this morning that there were, there were uh, uh, issues, you know, there were problems, there, there were controversies going on in the church even 2,000 years ago. But here's the controversy that was taking place here in chapter 15. It all wrapped around this fact of who was allowed to be a part of the church, okay? That's what the controversy was. Who gets to be a part of the church? Who gets in, right? Who, who, who gets to be a part of the movement? How good do you have to be? What rules do you have to have followed in order to become a part of the movement? Uh, you know, how much of your lifestyle do you have to clean up before you can actually go to church? These were some of the issues that they were facing back when the movement began. How good do you have to be in order to attend church and be a part of the movement? Now, just a little history here. The majority of these people 
when this movement initially started, they were Jews. All right, they were raised Jewish. They were Jewish people, uh, people who had been brought up with all kinds of laws and all kinds of rules. All right, it's just the way they were raised. And, and many of you know that the way that you're raised is often ingrained in who you are. It's a part of you. And so who they were were a people of rules, a people of laws uh, that followed those rules and did their best to follow those laws. They had actually taken the Ten Commandments, and out of those Ten Commandments, they had formulated 613 laws from those Ten Commandments that they had to follow, and it was called the Mosaic Law that was in place. They, always, they had always kind of had to live under this Mosaic Law, this, this law and, and these rules, and it's all that they knew. And so this, began, this uh, controversy that was beginning to take place before you could join the church, before you could become a Christian, was this. They felt like you had to become Jewish before you could become a part of the church. They felt like you had to become Jewish before you could join the movement or before you could, you know, be a part of who they are. You had to align yourself and follow these previous rules, these previous laws that were in place. You had to somehow prove that you were worthy of being a part of the movement or the church. Uh, uh, but all of these people that aren't Jews, now, now we're starting to have people join the movement and become a part of the movement that aren't Jewish, right? And, and they, these people that weren't Jews, the Gentiles, the people that Paul had been preaching to, the people that Paul had been converting to be a part of the movement, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, that's not what Paul told us at all. That's not, you know, that's not how Paul shared th this message with us. Paul told us that we could have a relationship with God through grace, that all that was required was that we would accept him, and it was through grace, and that we could be forgiven uh, of our sins based on the fact of what Jesus did on the cross, the death, burial, and the resurrection, and, and that's all that it was. And so there was this conflict that was happening, these grace people versus these law people, right, that was now taking place in the church. And for many people then, and even today, uh, you know, people drop out of church for these very kinds of reasons because people get the feeling, all right, people get the feeling that they aren't good enough to be a part of a church or a particular uh, church or denomination or whatever. And it, it is hard to understand. Uh, on one hand, the Bible speaks clearly about living moral lives, Right? There, there's there's way we are to live, and, and the Bible is clear and specific about that. But on the flip side of that coin is the amazing story of grace. All right? And, and so if you've been in church for very long, you understand the struggle and you understand the conflict between these two things that take place in the church. And honestly, when there's conflict, when there's conflict, especially in the church, church people get really weird. All right? Uh, they, they just do. And, 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 and when there's, there's conflict, uh, what we'll see oftentimes in churches is people start building walls and start formulating teams, right? We got the grace team and we got the law team and soon they're going to meet head to head and there's going to be the great debate and then we're going to take a vote, right? And, and so we see that in, in the church and, and it's nothing new. But before we know it, the church is saying, we want you to come here but here is what you've got to do. We want you to be a part of us, but here's the list of rules that, that you're going to have to follow. But when we look at the life of Jesus, uh, who is our example, what did he do? He brought the two together. 
That's what he did by coming to this earth. He brought those two uh, struggles together. And John said in his writing about Jesus that Jesus, yes, is our moral compass. And he's also grace. And that's combined all in one person. And, and that's through the Messiah. And as a church, we got to get this. And it's not a balancing act like so many of us think it has to be. You know, we got to get this just right. We got to work the formula out so we have this all just right. You know, it's not, well, you need to clean yourself up first, all right, and then you can come to church and experience grace. It's not that, right? And it's not, let just throw, let's just throw away the manual, you know, let's just throw away the moral standards so everybody can just feel good about themselves, you know. It's not that. Somehow Jesus taught and showed us that it has to be a combination of the two coming together. And that's what the movement is all about. That's what the church is. And somehow Jesus taught and showed us that it has to be a combination of these two things. And when the church gets this right, when we get it right, it'll be done in such a way that forgiveness isn't dumbed down, grace isn't dumbed down, and the moral standards of Christianity aren't dumbed down either when we get this right, okay? They have to coexist, and it's a challenge. It's challenging for us, number one, as human beings, and it's challenging for us as the church. And so early in the church, this is what they're wrestling with, okay? This is the struggle. This is the controversy. So let's pick it up at verse 1. For those of you that have already read ahead, Acts chapter 15, verse uh, number 1, you're already uncomfortable uh, with this sermon if you've read ahead. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. And here's the message from the Jews to these brand new Christians right? Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay. <laughs> Unless you have a surgery, you can't become a Christian. You, you can't become a part of this movement. And, and don't you know the Gentiles are backing up and they're going, wait, he didn't tell us about this, you know? <laughs> Paul didn't mention this in the altar call that he had. You know, so you're telling me that we can't be a Christian until we become a Jew. Yep, that's right. You got to be a Jew first. You know, if you're Gentiles and you want to be saved and you want to be a part of this church and join our church, you're going to have to have a little surgery, all right? And, and so what this means is, can you just imagine the new members class is nothing but women. <laughs> Huh? The men are all sitting out in the car going, honey, I don't know about this. I don't think this is the right church for us. I don't think they have to have this surgery down in New Life, all right? I, I'm just not cool with that. And, and so, but, but you know, the, they really believe this. The Jews really believe this. They really believe that before you could be a part of the church, men, you had to join the Moses Club before you could join the Jesus Club right? And it was crazy. Look at verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them, as you can imagine, because this flies in the face to what he's been preaching, right? This flies in the face of, uh, of his teaching about grace and how simple it is to become a follower of Jesus to these Gentiles. But this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So he's going back to Jerusalem, headquarters, right? 
He's going to headquarters to try to get this whole mess straightened out because it's a really, really big deal that's got to be resolved. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and the general superintendents and the district superintendents to whom they had reported everything that God had done uh, through them. And, and their report was amazing. I mean, they're just reporting here what God's been doing. Over the past few years, thousands of Gentiles have accepted Christ. There were churches that were popping up all over the, the region. God was doing incredible work through Paul's ministry and the movement. And Paul hadn't been telling them, right? He, he hadn't been preaching that they had to clean up their act first before they could join Right? He wasn't preaching that. He wasn't teaching they had to clean up their act and become Moses followers before they can become Jesus followers because, oh, by the way, that's not what Jesus taught. Verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, and these Pharisees were the people who had actually, who were responsible for killing Jesus in the first place. But after Jesus rose from the dead, some of them goes, hey, he may really be who he says he is, and so we're going to follow him. And so now they'd actually become followers of Jesus. But they're still struggling with all these rules and all these laws, right, that they'd been raised on. It's hard for them to grasp the fact that people don't have to act like them in order to become a part of the church. All right? And they're struggling with that, right? Because Gentiles looked nothing like them and acted nothing like them whatsoever. And there was a huge conflict there. And they stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So, Paul, here's what you need to do. You need to get back on your little boat, and you need to go back over there and tell all these new believers and all these little churches that you've started all over that region over there that they're going to have to change. Right? They're going to have to change their lifestyle and take the manual with you, take this book with you, because there's 613 laws that they're going to have to learn, and they're going to be tested over them, right? They're going to have to follow these. And, oh, by the way, you tell them they're going to have to have a little surgery, <laughs> Right? And then, and then we'll let them in. Then we'll let them join the church and become a part of the movement. Now, you know, this whole story is just like, this, this is crazy. You know, they, they are overreacting. It just doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous the way these people were acting and what this controversy was all about. But before we judge them too harshly, we need to take a look at ourselves. And how we do church, right? If you've been in the church for very long, this kind of thinking creeps in to all of us. Every single one of us. And the preacher's not exempt, all right? And, you know, I've shared this before, but I'll never forget it as long as I live. And I hope God never allows me to forget it. But I've been around here a while, like many of you. And um, I remember when we were having church over in the old sanctuary. This is actually the third move we've made since I've been here. We moved from the old sanctuary. We had church in the gym for about seven years, and we built this and moved in here. So this was over in the old sanctuary, and it was a holy place with green carpet. Kid you not. All right? Then I remember us having church over there uh, a long time ago, and a young teenage girl walked through the doors of that church one Sunday morning. This church, this church right here. And she was dark. She was dressed in black. Uh, she had piercings before piercings were cool. She had tattoos. And, you know, she was just one of those kids in the community that was known as, you know, one of those kids. And as 
she walked through the door and made her way. She was about three or four pews. We had pews back then. Some of you don't even know what a pew is. About the third or fourth pew from the back. And as she walked past, I heard someone say, what is she doing here? Really? What are you doing here? What is she doing here? And it broke my heart to think that we had become what they were here in Acts 15. Right? Do, do you see how relevant this ancient story is in the Bible as we compare it to our lives today and what God has, has chose us to do and to be a part of this movement here? If we're not careful, we will fall into this same trap. To where they got to look like us and act like us and pass a certain test and do all these things in order to become one of us. You know, our version of, of, of Christianity, we have it all figured out what our version of Christianity is and what it ought to look like for everybody else, right? Because we know it all. We have all the answers. And, and, and so we create our own standards of what it looks like to be a member of of the church and how people should act. Now, let's move on down to verse number seven. It says, after much discussion, Luke wrote this. Luke was a doctor. He was a very educated man. Uh, I'm going to say he was a peacemaker because he put here, after much discussion, which is just a nice way of saying after they had argued for quite some time, <laughs> right? After there had probably been some yelling, there had been some heated debates, there had been people making motions, there had been motions tabled, there had been this great debate over who was right and who was wrong, right? And, and what, you know, how should this all be worked out? After much discussion, Peter, who's kind of like the general superintendent of the church, right? At this point, if you're Catholic, you believe he was the first pope. Anyway, he was the leader. He was the man. He's heard all this debate. He's heard all of this, you know, arguments go on and take place. Peter got up and he dressed them. And we're not going to read it all, but here's a part of what he said. He said, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart. Now, don't miss this. Because, see, I don't know your heart. All right? I, I don't know your heart. I, I just know your behavior. I, I don't know your heart. I just know how you dress. I don't know your heart. I just know what you've got inked on your body. I don't know your heart. I just know the kind of music that you listen to. But God, he knows your heart. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them. Right? And what he's saying is he accepted. He's talking to the Jews here, and he's saying he accepted these Gentiles, these law-breaking, don't even know the law, right? They don't even know the law, don't even know the Ten Commandments, much less the 613 that we've got here in the book. But he accepted them. He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit. Do you all remember that? When they got saved, we saw it a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit came upon them too. He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He didn't discriminate between us and them. The good apostles, the Jews, the rule followers, he didn't discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Right? And then he says in verse 10, Now then, all right, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles these new followers... 
a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have ever been able to bear. Basically, what he's saying to them right here is this. None of you can even follow the 613 rules, right? That's what he's saying. There's not a one of us here that can follow all these rules we made. We're constantly breaking them, right? It can't be done. He said, so why would we put that on them? If we can't even do it ourselves and our ancestors couldn't do it, how do we expect them to do it, right? He says, no, you know, let's not be hypocrites here. Verse 11, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And and this blowing these Pharisees' mind, all right? Well, church is going to pot. I'm going to have to change denominations. I'm going to have to go somewhere else, right? Because the, the, the Pharisees are looking at the Gentiles like, well, you, you know, he may have purified their hearts, but they got some nasty Gentile habits still going on, right? They, they don't eat right. They don't dress right. They don't act right. And Peter goes, but wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. What is this all about anyway? What is this movement all about anyway? It's about grace. See, that's what it's really all about. It's about grace. And once grace does its work, right? God, through the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, he'll take care of everything else. I've seen it a thousand times. I've seen some people come in here pretty rough, <laughs> get the Holy Spirit in their heart, and they clean up pretty good, right? Even talk nice most of the time. My wife, she's still working on her language, y'all. But she, <laughs> hey, God's not finished with her, all right? And He's not finished with you. Listen, it's not our job to clean them up. It's the job of grace, right? It's His job. It's grace, and this is this is so important because God can purify a heart before He can before He may purify a life, right? God can purify a a heart before you quit that nasty habit. God God can purify a heart maybe before he fixes the marriage. All right, God can purify a heart before you overcome the behaviors that you're ashamed of. And if he can do that for you, then he can do that for anybody. Right? If he can do that for me, he can do it for you. And if he can do it for you, he can do it for anybody else that's walking up and down these streets that we encounter every single day. Now I want to skip down to verse 19. I I say this a lot. My favorite verse in the Bible. All right? Because now we see James, who, oh, by the way, is the brother of John. And when James speaks, people listen. James is present at this board meeting we're having. All right? He's heard all this going on. He's heard what Peter said. James, the brother of John, says this in verse 19. He says, It is my judgment, therefore that we should not make it difficult. (laughs) You want a church motto? We should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. I love this. We should not make it hard for people to be able to turn to God and accept grace, and accept forgiveness. And I know we have a standard. I get it. We have a moral standard, and we shouldn't water that down. But what about grace? (laughs) That's what it's all about. It's all about grace. If if we're going to keep this movement going, if we're going to continue this movement, we shouldn't make it difficult for people who are turning to God. This is about outreach. 
All right? It's about reaching other people. This isn't about the people that are here, but it's about the people who aren't here yet. I'm going to have a stroke. Come on. And listen, anything that we do that makes it difficult, God forgive us. Anything that we do that makes it difficult, we're resisting the will of God in this movement. All right, so let's wrap it up because this is a big subject and, and we don't have time to cover it all, but I could talk about this for weeks. But here's the bottom line. We're part of that movement, okay? We're the movement. We're, we're the church. And so today I just want to close with three ideas real quickly that we need to guard against. And, and I believe these are three things that every church and every denomination probably struggles with. And so we just got to keep our eyes on these things and beware. First one is this. Our focus can't just be on insiders. What do I mean by insiders? You. <laughs> All right? And by insiders, I mean the people who are already here. That can't be our primary focus. All right? And as much as people would like to make it about that, you know, it drives me absolutely up a wall when somebody will leave our church and go to somebody else's church or go to another church. And they'll put on Facebook, I found the best church in all the world. <laughs> you know, the, the, I, I get so much out of it. You know, we get this out of it. They're, you know, they do this for us and all that. It, it ain't about you. <laughs> it ain't about us. It's about them. It's about those who aren't here yet. It's about those who haven't joined the movement yet. Right? And, and you know, the, the people out there who don't know our songs. Right? They don't know our songs. They don't know where to sit when they get here. They don't know not to park under the wires out there. They'll have to go wash their car, right? They don't know where to take their kids when they walk in the door. They're lost as a goose when they walk in here because they don't know the deal. They don't know the routine. See, and it's understandable when this, when this happens, and it's real hard to keep it from happening, even as a pastor. I mean, think about it, because people who don't attend here, they don't ever complain. People who don't go here don't complain. People that don't go here don't, don't ever want to have an appointment with me. Hardly ever do I have an appointment with somebody that's not a part of this church. People who don't attend here don't have a problem with things I say on Sunday morning. They might offend someone, right? They just don't. They don't give a real. People who don't attend here do not care about us, right? They ignore us. They're not thinking about you near as much as you think they are, right? They don't care. So it's kind of, you know, in the church it kind of becomes, if we're not careful, it becomes this squeaky wheel mentality. All right, this, you know, where, where it's easy for us to become insider focused, right? It's easy for us to focus on the ones that will come. It's easy for us to focus on the ones that are here because, oh, by the way, the ones that are here are the ones that are paying their tithes. Preacher, don't forget that, which is your salary, right? And, and so, the, you know, it's, get focused on those who, who pay the bills, the people who are doing the work, the people who complain the loudest. It's natural for us to want to focus on those people, as a pastor specifically. But we can never ignore those who are on the outside by being caught up with those that are on the inside. The worst thing that we can do is get big and satisfied. We can't say, here's our version of the church. All right, we've made our own little version because we're smarter than everybody else. And we've made our own little version of what the church looks like. And if you can fit into that, we'd love to have you. Right? 
we'd love to have you join us. See, we can't do that. We, we can't be that. The second thing that we can learn from this is this. We need to be quick to extend grace. And I'll just tell you, when you do that, it gets messy. When you do that, it gets messy. Not from a theological standpoint, but from a practical standpoint. We have to be quick to extend grace and not a rule book. Jesus never condemned people for their sins. You won't find where Jesus condemned the sinners. Who was Jesus on? These religious people with the rule book. That's who he was on. He didn't condemn people uh, for their sins. He forgave them, right? But what if they mess up again? Forgive them again. Extend grace to them again. That's what the movement is all about. That's why we should be so excited to be a part of the movement because when we fall, somebody helps us get back up, they dust us off, and say, we're going to do better the next time. Let's keep trucking, right? Isn't it exciting to be a part of that? Instead of someone that will watch you fall and go, oh, you're dirty now. You can't be a part of us, right? Heaven help us if we ever become that church. That's why I say over and over and over again, and some people don't like it, and I don't care, but this is a church where it's okay not to be okay because I know you and I know me, and a lot of us are not okay. We're doing the dead level best we can. <laughs> so it's okay. If you're here today and you felt a little uncomfortable walking in, guess what? We all felt a little uncomfortable walking in. There's been lots of times I've walked in expecting the lightning to hit the building too. Right? I get it. We, we all get it. We all fail. Thank God for grace. We as a church can't get over grace. And we can never, ever, ever make it about rules. And the third and final thing I believe that we can learn from this today is this. We need to focus on advancing and not preserving. Some of you remember when we didn't have a lot here. We had green carpet. We were uptown because we had green carpet. But we didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot of money to do stuff with. And we really didn't have a whole lot of people. I remember one time, air conditioner went out. And I was in a board meeting, and they were like, we, we don't have money to fix it. We need a new air conditioner, and we don't have money to buy a new air conditioner. So we just did what people do that ain't got nothing. We were silly enough to ask God to provide. That, I, it made, I don't remember if it was that week or the week after, but there was an 18-wheeler driving down Highway 65 and lost his... Dooley's Doc lost his wheels and they came off the truck and they were bouncing down the highway and they hit our church they hit the they hit a the brick wall over here on what used to be uh, called the uh, fellowship hall hit a brick wall went up on the roof and did some roof damage on it called the insurance company and the adjuster came out luckily we had some people in the church that were new construction and they could make the repairs that we needed the adjuster came out and wrote us a check for just the amount we needed to buy a new air conditioner. <laughs> and you know what? The church was willing to take risk because they really didn't have a lot to lose. <laughs> they didn't have a lot to lose, and there wasn't a lot to risk, and now we have all of this. We're blessed. 
next Sunday is just going to be a celebration of how good God's been to us. We've got all this, and we've got all these awesome people, and we've got a staff that is second to none that I would put up against any staff in these United States. And it's awesome. But if we're not careful, we'll start trying to protect that. See what I'm saying? We'll start trying to protect what it is that we have. And in order to protect something that is really good, we can't forget to advance the movement. To advance this grace movement. We must advance the movement, even if it gets messy. And we've got to take risk, even though it's risky. We've got to be risk takers. And we must love people and love people that are hard to love and hard to accept. Because that's what the movement does. That's what the church does. But we can't make the mistake of allowing our desire to preserve what we have to override our mission. Okay, and our passion to advance this cause, to advance this movement that we call the church. We have to do ministry open-handed, and I've talked about this a lot. A lot of times God will bless us, and we want to take that blessing and just hold on to it for dear life. That's not ministry. Ministry is opening that up. Allow Him to take it back, or allowing someone else to take it, or to have it, or to give it back. And we want to be financially responsible. We don't want to be reckless. We want to be wise in what we do, but we don't want to get so big and so successful that we quit taking risk. I've said before to this church and to our board, I would love for us to do something one time, just one time, we'd start something that we know we can't do. (laughs) And then when it happens, people will look at it and say, only God. Those people could have never pulled that off. Only God. Only God. Because here's the deal. This isn't about us. This is about them. It's about a big world out there who needs to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. It's about a world that's out there. It's about people out there who honestly have been burned by the church. They've been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by people uh, that call themselves being a a part of the church in the past. And we've got to be bold in inviting people to be a part of this grace-filled movement. We've got to be bold. Daniel prayed for it earlier, boldness. He said, God, give us a little boldness. I'm I'm, I'm praying over his head. I'm praying he'd give us a lot of boldness. That we would have some boldness to invite people to be a part of this grace-filled movement that we're on. Investing in people, inviting them, introducing them to the good news of Jesus and what he's done in our lives and what he wants to do in their lives. And oh, by the way, when you mess up, we're not kicking you to the curb. When you mess out, uh, we're just going to help you up and help you on down the road. And when we fall, you're going to have to help us up because that's what we do. That's what we do on, on this movement. And we can do this. Folks, we have to do this. We have to get this right or we become what those Pharisees were back in our story, back in our scripture. 
If we're going to be a part of this movement, we've got to do this. So let's focus what's on the outside more than what's on the inside. Let's be quick to extend grace instead of a list of do's and and, and don'ts to people. And let's focus on advancing the gospel and taking risk instead of preserving what we already have and settling for what God has done in the past. He's not settling for what happened in the past. We praise him for what happened happening in the past, and we're going to praise him for what he's going to do tomorrow. Because we know he's not finished yet. This movement has not stopped and it will continue to roll. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of it because I want to see where it goes. I know where it's going to end up, but I want to see where it travels between here and there. I want to be a part of that. And and here's the deal. God wants to have a relationship with you. And he does that by, by being a part of his body, which is the church. He wants to have a relationship with you. He made a way for you to have a relationship uh, with him by going to the cross and paying a price that you could never pay. He did that for you and he did that for me and he wants to come into our lives. He wants to help us. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to make you a new person. He wants you to say, okay, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Take me and mold me and make me into what you want me to be, not into what I want to be. I want to be a CEO, but God may want me to be a missionary, right? And so God, you make me into what you want me to be. You mold me into what will bring you glory. I I just want to look like him. I just want to look like him. And that's what he does as he shapes us and makes us and molds us. And the gospel and the good news is this, folks. It's not change and then come, right? It's not that. But instead, it's come and he will change you. That's the gospel. We don't have to do nothing before we come to him. Absolutely nothing is required. We just come and then he changes us, right? And molds us and makes us. Man, that's awesome. Listen, no matter how lost they may be, no matter, you may be here today. I don't care how lost you are. I don't care what you've done in the past, where you've been or what you've done. You don't have to clean up to come to him. I invited a friend of mine to come to church one time. He could drink more beer than anybody in this room, right? He said, I can't come to your church. He said, I like to drink beer. I love beer. I said, you don't have to quit drinking beer to come to our church. Just come. You know what? Because God, he'll, he'll fix all that if you'll give him a chance, right? And you may say, I don't want him fixing my beer. I like beer. Well, that's between you and him. We got a law for that and a rule for that too, but it's about grace this morning. <laughs> he'll start cleaning you up when he comes into your life. I promise you that. He will. This is the movement, folks. It's what the movement looks like. I'm going to invite you again this morning. Will you join us? Will you join us? Let me pray for you. God, the, the, the heading above Acts 15 ought to just say good stuff. Two thousand years ago, they, they had people just like we've got people. And sometimes we can get hung up on the silliest things. And I thank you today for reminding us it's all about grace. Grace comes first. Grace does the changing. Grace does the healing. It's grace that brings forgiving. Thank you for reminding us today of that potter and the clay 
and how you speak to the fact that when we accept you and we come to you and we allow you to do a work of grace in our lives, that you take this lump of clay that may look ugly and nasty and don't resemble anything at all, but in the potter's hands, you begin to shape it and mold it and make it. And that's what you're doing in some of our lives. And that's what you want to do in some people's lives that are here today. But they just haven't surrendered to your grace and to your help. And I have no doubt whatsoever that there are some people here today that just need to make that decision to accept you. And accept what you want to do in their hearts and in their lives. God, you've changed so many people over the course of the years, over 100 years here at this location. A lot of lives have been changed. A lot of families have been changed. But God, we also understand that there's a, a lot of damage that has been done when we've let things get in the way of what you really want us to do, and that's just extend grace and forgiveness and love on people. Help us not to be judgmental. Help us not to look at somebody and go, they can't be a part of us because they don't look like us or act like us. God, I pray that we would just be people of love and people of grace. And people say, well, that's all that the, that's all that the church wants to talk about is loving, forgiving, because that's what it's all about. Because we all need to be loved and we all need to be forgiven. Every single one of us. We need this help that can only come from you. A work of the Spirit that can only come through your Holy Spirit working in us and through us. So I thank you for what you've done in the past. But God, I thank you for a church that's not just trying to preserve the past, but they're trying to advance into the future. And I thank you for a church that gets it and a board that gets it. And I pray that if there's anybody here that don't get it, today would be the day that they'd get it. Because we all need to be on the same page as we take this movement forward into this community and into this world. And again, I want to thank you for inviting me to be a part of it to be a part of the movement. And I pray that you'd find us faithful, you'd find us obedient, you'd give us a boldness and a strength to go into this world and to be your disciples and do what you've called us to do. We need your help. We can't do it on our own. So we trust you with that and we love you for that. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Don't forget, kid check. If you have